0: Welcome to Charla Cultural, a little chat about culture from Asterix Journal and City of Asylum. I'm Carla Lamb. And I'm Adriana I. E. Ramirez.
1: And today we're checking out Cave Canem, founded by Toy Derricotte and Cornelius Eady in 1996 to remedy the underrepresentation and isolation of African-American poets in the literary landscape. Cave Canem Foundation is a home for many voices of African-American poetry and is committed to cultivating the artistic and professional growth of African-American poets. Cave Canem has grown from a gathering of 26 poets to become an influential movement with a renowned faculty, high achieving national fellowship of over 400, and a workshop community. Community of 900. Cave Canem enjoys over 20 local regional and national cultural partnerships, among them City of Asylum. Carla, can you tell me a little bit about City of Asylum's connection to Cave Canum?
0: Yes, yeah, City of Asylum is connected to Cave Canem via Toy Dericotte. Toy Dericotte is um, a co-founder of of both organizations. And she also sits on the board of both organizations. And she has just been there from the very start of City of Asylum and is basically really good friends of the organization, has always been a supporter um, and an active board member. So that's like the main connection. And since 2010, City of Asylum has been hosting the Kavakanam Public Reading. Gotcha. Kind of like the capstone
1: event of their Yeah, workshops. exactly.
0: That's the uh, connection there, and it's just an incredible, strong partnership, and I had the honor of working with Kaveh Kahnem for the last four plus years. I have to say, I've been to this reading many times, and a couple of times I've gotten to hang out with
1: people at dinner beforehand or after, and I have to say it's such a pleasure to see such an amazing gathering of minds and of poetic minds. But also, even just the discussion at the table is always so elevated, and it just... Makes me want to like go home and research and learn more. So I have to say, Cafe Conum is one of my, the the public reading that happens at City of Asylum every year is something that I definitely look forward to and an event that I put on my calendar every year.
0: Yeah. So unfortunately, of course, this year, um, and last, so they took a little bit of a sabbatical last year th- due to the pandemic, and coming back strong this year, but coming back virtual. And it's also Kavakanam's 25th anniversary reunion. So City of Asylum has the honor of hosting that virtual reunion. And what we came up with as a programming team is digging through our archives um, of those past of those 10 years and highlighting some of the most prolific and acclaimed poets that have taken that stage. And it's just so incredible to dig through those archives and, and extract some of the like the golden nuggets that we want to show.
1: And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be playing some of them for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some exclusive content on the back end of the show, um, but we're going to kick off by invoking the, the muse. Can you tell us a little bit about the muse invocation that is to happen, Carlisle?
0: Sure. So I am sure most of our listeners have heard, or at least I hope, of the incredible poet Nikki Giovanni. We have some exclusive audio from her performance. And Nikki Giovanni um, is just, yeah, an incredible performer, incredible poet, activist. Um, if you don't, or if you're not familiar with their work, please. Um, you know, do your due diligence, but that's who we'll be hearing from.
2: I have loved being here. I was born in the Congo. to the Fertile Crescent and built a sphinx. I designed a pyramid so tough that a star that only glows every 100 years falls into the center giving divine, perfect light. I am that. I sat on the throne drinking nectar with Allah. I got hot and sent an ice age to Europe to cool my thirst. My oldest daughter is Nefertiti. The tears from my birth pains created the Nile. I am a beautiful woman. I gazed on the forest and, tur- and burned out the Sahara Desert. With a packet of goat's meat and a change of clothes, I crossed it in two hours. I am a gazelle. So sweet. Swift, so swift, you can't catch me. (laughs) For a birthday present when he was three, I gave my son Hannibal an elephant. He gave me Rome for Mother's Day. My strength flows ever on. My son Noah built Newark, and I stood proudly at the helm as we sailed on a soft summer day. I turned myself into myself and was Jesus. Men, turn my loving name. All praises, all praises. I am the one who would save. I sold diamonds in my backyard. My bowels deliver uranium. The filings <laughs> from my fingernails are semi-precious jewels. On a trip north, I caught cold and blew my nose, giving oil to the Arab world. I, I am so hip, even my errors are correct I sailed west to reach east and had to round off the earth as I went the hair from my head thinned and gold was laid across three continents I am so perfect so divine so ethereal so surreal I cannot be comprehended except by my permission and then I can fly like a bird in the sky
1: There's something so fun about the way that the Cave Canem crowd just gets so rowdy. It it just reminds me of being at a poetry slam, not in like the cliche worst way, but (laughs) the energy in the room and the call and response and people that know the poems so well that they're able to kind of sing along with it.
0: Isn't that incredible? Yeah, as I was digging through the archives, selecting some of these highlights, I definitely noticed um, the uh, audience, the energy, the synergy between the poet and you know the audience, and every one of them honestly got a standing ovation. And then it was really hard for me to select certain footage and audio because a lot of people would stand in front of the camera and just like (laughs) stand and clap. And it was just, yeah, imagine every poet in a lineup getting a standing ovation. And well-deserved. I mean, these poets are just incredible jaw-dropping. I was
1: about to say because, I mean, I think that testifies to the power of the lineup. Nikki Giovanni has been writing poems since, what, like 1967? Countless books. Every biography I've ever read of Giovanni Begins with essentially like one of the foremost American poets. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you you, you cannot capitalize the letters in big deal enough, and yet, you know, your casual Cave Canem opener, right? (laughs) You know, like... To, to then, you know, share the stage with people like Cornelius Edie or like Toy or like Amiri Baraka or you know, who we're going to like yeah. casually listen to a little bit later um, in this. The episode. Casually. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because you, you don't imagine just casually being able to just listen to somebody like that, you know, they're they're so hallowed yeah and, and you, in
0: pittsburgh of all places
1: yeah you just don't think they're performing under a tent in pittsburgh uh, but we're so lucky that because of Cave condom and because of toy derica that relationship exists and this reading exists and it's a reading like no other you know you're not yeah. in a carnegie hall with like you know several thousand people in the audience you know this is like a couple hundred at most
0: yeah Definitely. Uh, at most. As is City of Asylum tradition, like these events are free and open to the public. Pittsburgh can come out and support. And
1: and, and it does. I, I, yeah, I mean, every does. single time I've ever been, it's been standing room only. And every single time it feels like church in like the best way, um, you know, or temple or whatever, you know, the gathering. of What do Wiccans do? I know nothing <laughs> about witches. Do they? I don't imagine it's church or a temple. Let's go with... Oh, so gathering, that's Quakers. I know that.
0: So let's, uh, well, yeah, well, congr- I can. <laughs> congregation, I don't know. Um, but it's either way, it's incredible. And if, if anybody out there has the opportunity to be in Pittsburgh in June every year and, you know, starting next year in person, uh, but for now, tune in, let's see, Thursday, June 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to see uh nikki giovanni among colleen McElroy, amiri baraka angela jackson toy derrick and tim Seibels. yeah
1: i and the beauty of it is today we're going to give you a sneak peek of that show so if you don't have you know the ability to get online and catch that show i believe it will be archived though so you should be able to go on crowdcast and find mm-hmm. it right? Yes. We give you a sneak peek of the stuff they couldn't fit. Um, And so we've got our own exclusive content here at Charla Cultural that we're now going to play for you. So um, let's once again go through this lineup of amazing poets. Carla, who are we going to hear from?
0: Okay. So in order of appearance, Colleen McElroy... Amiri Baraka, Angela Jackson, Toy Derricott, and Tim Siebels. Perfect. Okay, so now that we've heard all the poets. Sometimes
1: in this uh, modern world, both husband and wife,
3: uniform. R&R, which means rest and relaxation, except there is no rest and very little relaxation. They choose neutral ground, home away from home, but never home as they dare remember. That first night they peel off combat like rubber skin and it sticks stubbornly in the damnedest places. But when he kisses her, the musky smells of some other woman's thighs cling to his beard. And she turns her head, but only slightly, as his tongue surfaces out to lick clean his upper lip in a quick clip, as if that other clitoris were still within reach. She pours him a neat shot, straight up, her hand steady as a barmaid's. It's not enough they finish their second tour of duty unscathed. Caught in the same desert fire, <coughs> caught in the same desert crossfire, their units positioned only 300 miles a world apart. She wa- he wants to know if she's been faithful, and she worries what the neighbors think about her olive green t shirts and red panties drying on the line, his camouflage shirt beside them. They exchange photographs of each of them holding weapons. And later in bed, when they maneuver each other into position, her belly aches when he pins her face down. Every movement bringing up memories of women in desert villages weeping into the sand. And when the squad pulls out, there she is. The rear guard action he laughs until she mounts him. Her thighs summoning up all the strength she has his laughter dying in his throat until she finally pulls right and lets him have it. <laughs> See, I always gotta try to stay clean. You know. I am talking about military women. I'll go to fairy tales. (laughs) Some daughters were bred to be caretakers, obedient simply for the sake of obedience. Some daughters grow fat with worry and call that love. Some were born for beauty. Some were sturdy, born for work. And breeding daughters like themselves. Some daughters soften like well-tanned hides. Some cut their teeth, doing what not to do so well they can't be called anyone's daughter. Some hold love in their baskets of goodies. Some just just sew up their mouths until nothing escapes. Some daughters walk work all day at being good daughters. Some only howl at the moon for nights on end. Forever the stepchild, the other woman, standing at the back door. The princess who says, fuck the pee and throws the mattress out the window. Okay, I'm gonna chill. The body politic. No, that's fine. Caught in the crosswalk. We were amazed, not just because she was so unlike the other suits. Think I have a thing about
4: suits?
3: (laughs) (laughs) We were amazed, not just because she was unlike so unlike the other suits, but how clueless she unnerved us all stomping around on her stubby legs. Past courtiers, weary with age, someone has hijacked her sax account and charged tons of reading material, which she refuses to open. She is practicing for the flute competition, her high heels gleaming, and despite the automatic, automated voice warning, walk, don't walk, she's caught mid stride waiting for the convention she really wants to attend, even if she doesn't have a ticket, even if her makeup is all wrong. And, bet it or not, all those former governors won't be there to unmask at midnight. Souvenirs peddled by some guy from Wall Street down on his luck, while everyone tries cashing in earmarks, even if they don't belong. And the free clinic opens for wingnuts who snuff out candles with their tongues. You
5: probably know who I'm talking about. <laughs> thank you. You know, when I was a little kid, well, when I was a little kid. My mother used to dress me up in a Boy Scout suit and say the, uh, thank you, the Gettysburg dress. It'd be. Uh, every Lincoln's birthday. I guess she did that so I could say, and all men are created equal. I guess that's why she did that. I was 12 years old, she did that. So, my grandmother used to bring a lot of books home. She used to do white ladies' hair. She would bring books back. I started reading the Rubrietta book Omar Kayan, Chinese and Japanese poetry. Then I stumbled on something called a haiku. I said, I'm going to create something for black people. It's called a loku. <laughs> that means we don't have time to count the syllables. You know, <laughs> da, 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 That's Bud Powell, Loku for so what? They ask him the difference between insane and outsane. He said, you know the difference, that's why you're (laughs) asking. Two days later, they came back, he had left a note. It said the same thing. That's when his picture went up in the post office. The (laughs) caption read, wanted for any reason you could think of. (laughs) This meant they really did understand. Dun, 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 dun. Question with no air. Why are they so crazy? 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 Why? Dun, 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 dun. Silent night. Whenever the devil is disguised as God, he is called Santa Claus. <laughs> Was it ever so quiet the room began to ask you questions? Dun, 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 dun. Adventures in Negrosity. A Negro tried to cash himself for money at a bank. He got arrested as a counterfeit nickel. Culture. Culture. European Jews say the devil speaks perfect German. The black Americans, on the other hand, say he speak pretty good English, too. <laughs> Motive. The devil said he left heaven because there was too many niggas. That's why he started Europe. Geobolical. According to the devil, when he was first thrown out of heaven, he landed in England. I believe him. <laughs> heaven appeared with property. God with slavery. Heaven appeared with property, God was slavery. Dun, 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 dun. Before fortune was money, finally everything points to the people and things we understand. Understanding is a point of view. If you look, but looks down from that point. If it is the sun, if you see it, better. If you don't, okay. But for instance, and there you go across the sea to be with the devil. The preparation for pain is minimal. For joy, a lifetime. The preparation for pain is minimal. For joy, a lifetime. Is that fair? Yes. Is that fair? You mean a fee, a circus, or white people? The return of Lon Chaney. If you see a Negro with a white ring around his mouth, Goop-a-dust will not help. Dun dun dun! dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Loku. Craziness is no act. Not to act. Is craziness. Loku for Bush too. The main thing wrong with you is you ain't in jail. The American word for Nazi is American. What uh, catch about catch 27. Catch 27. The real problem is you don't know the real problem. Dun, 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 dun. Class gas for those who knows, since the rich eat more than anybody else, it is reasonable to assume that they are more full of shit. <laughs> linguistic for chute in Mandarin the word bush means dumb motherfucker. Dun, 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 dun. in the funk world in the funk world if Elvis Presley is king who is James Brown God dun, 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 dun. I have a hundred more, but I will not abuse you.
6: When Willie Mae went down to the barber shop to visit her boyfriend who cut hair there, I went with her, walking beside her on the street. The men said, Hey, and stopped to watch her just walk. Boyfriend Barbara cut hair and cut his glance at her. Oh, he could see the tree for the forest. He pressed down the wild crest on a man's head and shaved it off just so he could watch her standing there by the jukebox, choosing the blues she would wear for the afternoon. Right there, little Milton would shoot through the storefront with the peppermint stick sentry twirling outside. If I didn't love you, baby, grits ain't grocery, eggs ain't poultry, and Mona Lisa was. razor and mouth would stop its dissembling business, and time, sit down in the barber's chair and tell memory poised with its scissors in hand not to cut it too short, just take a little off the ends. <laughs> the man with the white liver. He got the thing, make a woman cry out in the night. The man with the white liver, he the killing love giver. His first wife died smiling, say, hand me my comb so I can comb this hair before that man get home. His first wife died smiling, sit up in the sheets, say, hand me my comb before my husband get home so I can live in his arms forever. She's smiling, reaching, and dying for the man with the white liver, he the killer love giver. His second wife died dancing crosses. Street, dreaming he's standing on the other side, heard him whispering her name in the broken car horn, carried her home away from here. She dancing like Dunham in the middle of the street, dreaming her name on his sweet thick mouth, lift her dress, uh, uh, lift her dress above one knee, Raise the other hand, high swearing. She hear her name on his juicy, dreamy mouth. She wave to it and get hit. <coughs> Car with a broken horn, carry her away from here. She dreaming about a man with a white liver. You know him. He the killing love giver. His third wife died like a coffee cup. First thing in the morning, she dark and laughing. a silver spoon and black brew so strong the spoon stand up in the cup first thing in the
3: morning she you die
6: black Maxwell how's good to the last drop people say they read the grinds in her eyes grind, and say lord have mercy I love me my man with his white liver he the goodest love giver let the pain make a woman cry in the night, he got the thing, make a woman rise up light as light and slide through blinds like sunshine. My girlfriend's mama say, tell Angela, stay away from a man with a white liver. (laughs) When she find one, run. Say, girl, stay away from a man with a white liver. He the killing love giver. His love take the life from every smiling wife. He had one behind the other lining up for loving like lambs to the slaughter. I'm telling you like I tell my own daughter. Stay away from a man with a white liver who make your liver quiver, your nose open wide. Your heart stop dead in the middle of his rock and ride. He the killer love giver. He got the thing, make a woman cry out in the night. His shoulder the last thing she see. His coffee cup the last thing she
4: ever be. This is from The Undertaker's Daughter, untitled. 10 days after her death, I nap on my mother's bed. And for the first time, it seems in years, in front of the gentle eyes of the Blessed Virgin, my mother's palm, Sunday palms, folded behind the frame. I feel my clitoris throb, aroused? In my mother's bed? Before the Virgin? (laughs) I press my thighs together as if my hands must remain clean. I touch the tip of my left breast until the nipple grows hard and lifts, my thighs tighten. Embraced in this pleasure as in a prayer that goes up from my whole body I have gone beyond some dirtiness, some act I cannot conceive my mother would have condoned. Yet here, now, I have touched some deeper female presence that her death gives me as a gift. Thank you. I've struggled so much with the problem of self-worth. Cave being a part of this organization of people who are doing this important work, is a part of of that self-revolution and belief in the self of worth and dignity and power. Love story in black and white. What the hell am I doing hugging a white man in an apron? (laughs) I said it to myself, but out loud, so that he pushed me away slightly. What did you say? This was the first white man I had dated, though I was 60. It wasn't only that I was holding a body close for the first time in years, not only that he was white. My mother's fears and anger's remnants of slavery had hardened my heart. Perhaps it was the apron. I had never imagined a white man, not a chef, come down to that order. Perhaps the way he met me, beaming, opened wide, confounded my expectations. How lovely his body as he bends to the wise tomatoes. What does black and white have to do with it? Our love that's lasted 10 years. Each act of tenderness amends the violence of history. I lived in uh, a section of Detroit, a first uh, middle-class black uh, suburb called Conant Gardens, but um, Tony Morrison talks about where the word black bottom comes from in Sulu, uh, in Sulu and she says that, um, that the black people after the Civil War, uh, they had this property that was always at the top of the hill, and they said to the white people, why do we always get the property at the top of the hill? It's the, the fertile ground is in the valley. And the white people said, oh, don't worry, your, your property is the bottom of heaven. So this poem is about how our family would would live in this place with these perfectly manicured lawns, but on the weekend, we would drive back to Black Bottom to see what was going on back there. Black Bottom. When relatives came from out of town, we would drive down to Black Bottom drive slowly down the congested main streets, Bobian and Hastings, trapped in the mesh of Saturday night. Freshly escaped, black middle class, we snickered and were proud. The louder the streets, the prouder. We laughed at the bright clothes of a prostitute, a man sitting on a curb with a bottle in his hand. We smelled barbecue cooking indented dented wash tubs, and our mouths watered. As much as we wanted it, we couldn't take the chance. Rhythm and blues came from the windows, the throaty voice of a woman lost in the bass, in the drums, in the dirty down-and-out, the grind i love to see a funeral, then I know it ain't mine. (laughs) We rolled our windows down so that the waves rolled over us like blood. We hoped to pass invisibly, knowing on Monday we would return safely to our jobs, the post office and classroom. We wanted our sufferings to be offered up as tender meat and our triumphs to be belted out in raucous song. We had lost our voice in the suburbs, in Conant Gardens, where each brick house delineated a fence of silence. We had lost the right to sing in the street and damn creation. We returned to wash our hands of them to smell them whose very existence tore us down, to the human. Thank you so much. And I realized, hey, here's a place we're dancing in the street, right? And singing. Oh, man. <laughs>
7: This first poem is called Born, Born. Is this how it begins? A cry that does not know who's crying. Consciousness filling your head like smoke. The brain, a burning house. First surge of self as a thing apart, scorched, the shock of touch, smell, and somehow hunger, the need to have what you cannot have without help, the unintentional world wayward, aloof, then maybe relief in someone's arms. Is this where your heart rises and tilts between hunger and the moment you are fed, the mind sprung by want? your mouth, the first taste, the forgetting, where you are and what's to come. Thank you. And this is a, this is a, a new Villanelle, and it has an epigraph. I, I, was, uh, I was in a mall. Uh, standing in a line uh, waiting to go to a movie and somebody said the Mad Hatter's Tea Party is the whole fucking world. (laughs) 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 And so uh, this is uh, this is called (laughs) this is called the Taste Me Blues Villanelle. (laughs) Not sure what I'm doing, and can't say where I'll be. People think they know me, but don't see how I am. When they get me, I bet the germs enjoy me. I grope along this broken road from sea to shining sea. The madness roots inside me while I revise my plans. Looks like what I'm doing might make me what I'll be. Isn't it enough we're stuck and cannot cannot fight or flee? Weather burns the world of men. Tornadoes walk the land. When they search me, I hope the cops enjoy me. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk at many things. I turn around to look around and try to take a stand, but don't know what I'm doing and can't say what I mean. I've always been an optimist, so that is what I'll be. I'm at your door with Wonder Bread, some butter, and some jam. If you kiss me, I think your lips will like me. daylight, daylight is the splintered plank I walk into the sea got up with a hustle but went down flimmed and flammed when motherfuckers find me they'll wonder who I be I'm at I'm at I'm at the hatter's party shoving honey in my tea the time we saved, the wage they paid felt something like a scam. When they bite me, them greenhead flies annoy me. Won't say I'm a token, but can't say I rode free. You'll catch me at the Starbucks, broken donut in my hand. Don't like where it's going, but that's just how I'll be. When they taste me, I hope the worms enjoy me. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll read, um, I'll read A Funky Blues. Um, it's for Carrie and Lurie Bell. Some of you are from Chicago or the Midwest, probably know them, right? They're a blues duo, father and son. Anyway, this is just called A Funky Blues. <laughs> Y'all gonna get me with that. A Funky Blues. The night dark as the unplayed B-side of a Motown flop. (laughs) Seemed like the whole world of broken records stuck on same old, same old. And here come a piece of moon, skinny as Darlene's leg, dropping light like chunk change on my corner. A, a moon that needed sorry butt kicked, just like cool ass Jerome, coming round in wrinkled shirts and mismatched shop socks, looking hungry, steady trying to borrow something and pay you back later. <laughs> I remember one time, I let that motherfucker hold $25 till next Tuesday. $25, like I got that many beans to burn. Must have been feeling like Jesus or something. Well, next Tuesday, been and gone probably 25 times by now. And if I seen a penny of that money, I must got Halle Berry upstairs in a satin teddy. My my whole life been a night like this. (laughs) Dark, dark so old the stars be wheezing and never nobody around that I want to see. Light falling a little bit here, a little bit there, but mostly a whole lot of shoulda, coulda coming down my street up to no good. Steady ready to get something and never give nothing back. (laughs)
1: Was amazing. And I know we say that after all the poetry, but the power of everything we just heard is phenomenal. Um, can you tell us a little bit about when these recordings happened just so, you know, we can kind of situate ourselves in place and time? Because I know that, you know, when a poet says, you know, something about contemporary politics, we might need to stop and know, you know, when they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Of course. So Colleen McElroy performed City of Asylum into 2010. So that was the first poet we heard. And yeah, I'm honestly quite blown away by Colleen's performance and just the power of articulation and body language. And of course, here we only have the audio, but when I was going through it, Set the scene. You, it's a little difficult because it's a tent outside. So it's you, a tent outside it, yeah. in Pittsburgh, but it's in
1: the city. Okay. It's so you're, city. you're kind of between buildings and it's a white tent and you've got folding chairs. There's a middle aisle and there's a podium at the end where the poet is standing powerfully if i may add and the audience is you know kind of hot and it's a little muggy and there are fans out but nobody cares because everyone's at church or congregating however you want to put it wiccans um and they're they're all together and they are celebrating the power of poetry and everyone's in it and the energy is high
0: yeah, I mean, you, you that's the ambiance, you know, right there. But for, as far as audio is concerned, uh, you could hear the car zipping by. You could hear, you know, somebody's boombox as they're, you know, driving by. I think it was like near an intersection. You could hear kids playing in the next yard over. And from a logistical point of view, I was like, oh, no, what can I do with this audio? But, you know, after a while, it really just adds. It adds to the to the energy of the poem and what the poet is doing. And a lot of, from what I, you know, my research into or my dive into these archives, you know, the poets, they weren't necessarily doing like the eye contact, what we're trained nowadays to do as performers. They were just like reading from the page, but it's really just the tenor of their voice. There's um, an intimacy. That, like, the intimacy, yeah, like that they just... they didn't necessarily there was already connection so they didn't have to look at the audience necessarily you know and I would say Um, that it it comes from performing for family mm,
1: because I'll I'll tell you this like I did a reading a few years ago um in the Bronx shout out to the people at Acentos who invited me out and I just remember doing this poem that I do that references this song by Manu Chao. And oftentimes I would perform this poem, you know, in a normal reading and what I call golf clap readings, you know, Ooh, yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, people would nod, or maybe there'd be one person in the audience who'd be like, Hey, you know, they'd get the reference, whatever. But at this reading in the Bronx, when it finished the DJ in the back, heard the reference in the poem on the song. Everyone in the crowd was singing along because of course everyone in the crowd was Latino. And it was just this amazing moment that happened because we were fam. Mm, Right And so like I feel like going To the Kaveh Khanum Reading Is like Getting to hang out With fam In a way um, That isn't Appropriative You know That isn't Like disrespectful It's like
0: Being invited To the cookout Yeah so especially During Toy's performance uh, We Well I got to Listen to the whole thing um, And Like the audience Doesn't let her Finish the poem You know It's so But it's incredible And then she like Laughs in between And then she picks it up at the last line where she left off and then she finishes it super strong and the crowd is cheering standing ovation there's clapping throughout and she's smiling and happy and just you know it's like not the kind of we're we're trained to be so rigid you know like read the poem finish the poem no interruptions, no coughing, no drinking water, no connecting with the audience. And this like- is the
1: white way. I
0: feel like to some degree, spaces that
1: are traditionally considered white spaces okay, go with me here for a second, like let's say academia and whatnot, in order to be taken seriously as a discipline, they feel like they have Mm. to adopt a lot of the mannerisms of other type of academia and academics. And so there's become a rigidity, there there has a a certain rigidity has entered Mm. the discourse of what a poetry reading should be, right? Which is that golf clap thing and like you behind a lectern, you know, with your thing and you read your poem and everyone listens very carefully, mm-hmm. respectfully, you know, and then they clap at the end. And then if they have questions, they stand in line and raise their hand or whatever, whatever, whatever. I feel like the joy of the Kaveh Khan I'm reading is that it shows you another possibility, mm-hmm. another way that it could be. Um, and another way that is kind of outside of that rigidity and outside of that discourse. Like I love that even though universities are a part of Kaveekanam, Kaveekanam is not affiliated with a university. It doesn't give you a degree. It it just gives you the honor of having attended.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: if you are an African-American poet, um, and there are spaces like that, you know, like Vona exists for all people of color, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Kundaman exists for Asian-American poets, Canto Mundo exists for Latinos, you know, these spaces that have had to have been created in order to allow for different possibilities.
0: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: It's, I yeah, I think about this a lot. Just like, you know, when people get upset, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and she was like, I can't apply to Kaveh because I'm only 1% black and I don't look at it or feel it or talk it. And I was like, well, then it's not for
0: you. <laughs> and please, right. Don't try to, try to like impose or like invite yourself It's such an incredible organization The people are so kind, friendly, welcoming, personable. And, you know, as a staff member of City of Asylum and being there and coordinating these events and um, the public reading and getting to see Ruth Ellen Kosher perform and give a lecture and and then be able to, like, shake her hand afterwards and, like, thank you so much for coming and being able to converse at, at a book signing just so casually. I don't, this is, I don't know if this is, like, truly speaking to what you were saying about, like, imposter syndrome necessarily. In some ways, it's both
1: casual, but I, th- I think we're throwing around casual, but I think what we really mean is intimate. Mm-hmm you know, and earlier when I was saying, you know, you just casually hang out, but it's really about that intimacy, you know, and I think there's a certain joy, a certain black joy, right? That comes through and it it goes again to performing for your family and Mm -hmm. being seen and being heard and knowing that your little inside jokes are all being picked up. Right. And I mean, think about something like a villanelle, which is one of the most structured poems in terms of repetition and in terms of, you know, not so, not as much line length, um, but definitely in terms of the repetitive structure and how you're supposed to like consider repetition in the poem. And yet there's so much fun Mm -hmm. inside that rigidity that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Tim Sibles is able to like find and so it's it's both playful and yet adhering to form um and that's one of my favorite things about people that play with form in the contemporary like I'm not talking like 19th century villanelles like good times and all that but I I, I'm really thinking about like what people are able to do with it now um and this echoes a conversation we had a little bit ago about form and Jericho Brown and Terrence Hayes but I think it's very much true and I think it says something that those are also poets that are kind poets
0: Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and then,
1: to some degree, Kaveh Khanum invites a certain playfulness in the Mm -hmm. work and you can see that in these performances from Mm -hmm. somebody who's well-established like amiri baraka to somebody who's a little bit newer um and maybe that wasn't always on our radar um you know sometimes baby poets read and it is always fun to see new voices stepping up to that microphone and yet you know all of them are doing such interesting fascinating things with language and with what poetry can really do you know, this isn't like stuffy poetry. This is this is poetry that makes you want to stand up and be like,
0: oh, snap. <laughs> yeah, and and speaking of form, Amiri Baraka's um, loku uh, in the audio, I don't know if you can hear it, but he's like, this is for my people. So there's the haiku and then the loku. And then he just takes that idea and just every, every stanza, you know, and every line is just like a slap sonically and content wise. And it just, it, it's, an, it's such an expansive universe in seven syllables. And Amiri just well, and maybe goes every back time to, just blows my mind. Yeah. maybe. Well, maybe it goes back to the idea
1: of like an economy of language. I remember one of my old poetry uh-huh. professors talking about this, you know, which is, you know, poetry is about thinking about language in terms of its economics and you know Mm. what can you get out of one word how much value Uh, is there if you are limited to 17 syllables right what does that mean And so how are you going to make 17 syllables deliver as much of a punch, you know, as it would take um, a much longer poem or, you know, an essay or whatever. And so it really forces you to get down to like what's essential, Mm -hmm. right? And I love that about poetry is that you really have to stop and think, and especially when you're writing in form, like, okay, I've got this line, I gotta make it work you know, and I got to get, you know, the emotion in there and the feeling and the meaning and all of that. So Mm -hmm. I'm always in awe. Like, I think as a, I I still feel like a baby poet, even though I'm almost 40, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because it's just like, oh man, like I'm still learning and figuring it out. I'm a, I am a much better critic of poetry than I will ever be a poet. And I know that about myself.
0: Yeah. What other kind of themes did you notice in in the audio? I, I, I'm i going to harp on a little bit more about intimacy, I think, you know, mm-hmm. going to
1: Toys performance. Right. And in thinking about, you know, the poems that Toy picks, you know, one is about an interracial relationship. Um, yeah. And it's funny and it's awkward, but it also speaks to like a larger tension mm-hmm. and almost a betrayal in of mm-hmm. family in some mm-hmm. ways, too. Mm-hmm. right and uh getting back to kind of like again the the importance of language even as she's performing and even just listening to the audio, I can hear the smile in her voice. And, and I love that our voices are able to do that. That even though you know, you can't see my face, but because of what somehow my voice is doing, there's emotion getting across, right? And we're able to really hear each other in that way. Um, and Toy is a master of that. I have never not been entertained watching Toy Derricot perform a poem. And I apologize for the intimacy of calling Toy by her first name. I have met Toy on many, many occasions, <laughs> so um, there is a sort of intimacy, but I mean... I I really hope that y'all enjoyed the poetry today and we're actually going to be doing two parts because there was just so much and we couldn't share it all here. I mean, there's almost a half hour of poetry already. So um, we're going to be splitting this into two parts. And uh, the second part is actually going to be our season finale for episode 10. We are, this is episode six. We're over the hump,
0: Carla. I cannot believe that. It's just flown by. I know. I know. And then we'll be on hiatus until March of next year. So
1: oh, so no. much.
0: <laughs> I want to keep doing this.
1: <laughs> I know. I was like, I was telling, I was telling the spouse that maybe we should just start another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I think 10 episodes um, a year is a pretty good place to start for Charla. So thank you guys so much for listening
0: with us so far. And um, Carla, tell me, what are you reading? Uh, currently, I am rereading... I always say that. I, I'm reading um, Posada, Offerings of Witness and Refuge by Xochitl Julissa Bermejo. Ooh.
1: Um,
0: it's a, and it's um, out by... Sundress Publications, and I actually got a chance to work with Xochitl, um via City of Asylum and the Latinx and Proud Reading Series. Uh, but yeah, so this book again. Right now, I'm just diving back into some of the books on my bookshelf. Um, yeah, journey of you know identity, home, family, um, the U.S. Mexico so border. Uh, yeah, and just. I just
1: love that you're unpacking your bookshelf. I mean, Carla just moved, as you know, from listening to the podcast um, and, you know, you're getting to kind of revisit your books as you organize them. So how Mm -hmm. are you organizing them?
0: I'm not, I'm just (laughs) by size, (laughs) but- Okay, that's a a way, that's a way. (laughs) Maybe down the road a little bit, I'm still unpacking. So I just want them like out of the boxes currently, but as they come out, I just like remember how much I loved a certain book and how long it's been. And then there's so many books I still haven't read yet. Do you have that too with your bookshelf? Oh my gosh. So I keep a bookshelf
1: in my bedroom that is my to read book Mm -hmm. the moment where I finally give up and I'm like, I'm not going to read this anytime soon. Mm. And I move it to the big bookshelf. I always feel like a loser. So there are things things that have been in my to read bookshelf for like five years. Um, and they're just like, that's where they're shelved right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other day I plex, I plucked something from there. So that made me feel very good. Um, and like I was an accomplished person.
0: Well, uh, it's never too late, honestly. And books are gonna love you no matter what. Oh, that's how I feel. Can right? we put that on a t-shirt? <laughs> sure, you can you can do that. But yeah, so I mean it's really a beautiful experience. And then sometimes, you know, I know that I can't commit to a certain book, but I'll kind of page through and you know, one or two poems. And I've been doing this thing lately where just like forcing myself and I'm going to have more time soon in the future, but just like one poem a day, just like read one fo- poem a day, you know? Um, yeah. If that's well, the least I can do, just do it.
1: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm judging a poetry prize this year. It's my third year judging a poetry prize um, and my final year. So this is uh, three years was a good stint. Um, and so that means that I'm getting tons of books of poetry in the mail every day. My stack is a, whew, uh, you could see behind me some of them, Carla. And so yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so it's a little intense. And so I kind of try to practice exactly that is when I go drink my coffee in the morning. Um I'll bring out a book and I'll read the first few pages and if I like it I'll keep reading and if I don't like it I'll put it in the meh pile and then I'll, I'll I reread everything but the meh with not as much as anticipation. <laughs> So I understand that feeling exactly of being like, well, all right, like, let's, let's read a little poetry today and see how it enlivens the day. And sometimes you find a gem.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I love the ones where you like learn something and you kind of go down this wormhole of maybe a reference you know and especially um in poem a day um but the poetry foundation email oh yeah you know because then they're they're like related poets or related poems and then the audio and then you're like oh i've never heard of this um poet before and
1: that's wonderful what a
0: delightful i mean
1: if you're gonna doom scroll on the internet you might as well doom scroll poetry that's what i say (laughs)
0: <laughs> i love it um and i just recently discovered uh the poet anais duplan oh can you say
1: playing. that again you kind of cut out a little
0: oh anais duplan oh they're uh, the current um the the month's guest editor at the poetry foundation um but anais's work i just clicked on one and two hours later i you know, I have pretty much read like every poem on the Internet that they have and on Twitter. And I was just like in love. So Aww. shout out to Poem a Day, but also try to read a, a poem from a book. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah,
1: what are you reading? Um, OK, so I've got two things quickly. Um, I'm reading Brian Broom's memoir, um, Punch Me Up to the Gods, and it is devastating. Mm, um, another Pittsburgh yeah. The author, there. Pittsburgh writer who I met at a coffee shop. No, I didn't. That's a lie. I was on a panel with Brian. We were on a solving racism in Pittsburgh panel together. Like, Oh, I want to say like five years ago. Mm. Uh, no, I was pregnant with my first kid. I'm always pregnant in my stories. So four years ago, <laughs> Um, Yeah, and and Brian was phenomenal, and then we went and had coffee, and blew my mind with his insight and his story, and you know, people go through things, but not everyone is able to go through things and arrive um, at actually like thoughtful insight, and Mm. Brian is one of those writers. So Brian Broom, check him out, Punch Me Up to the Gods. It's about masculinity, it's about being queer, it's about being black, but mostly it's about being a person, um, inhabiting a body in a complex world that, you know, wasn't designed for you, but also that teaches you how to kind of love it in the most brutal way possible. Yeah,
3: Yeah, that's beautiful. um,
1: Yeah, Punch Me Up to the Gods, just wonderful. And then, weirdly enough, I'm reading Letters to a Young Poet um, by, you know, um, Rainer Maria Rilke, but I'm reading the edition that includes the letters to Rilke, from the poet, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, never really, you never read that part. Um, you know, you you always hear, um, you know, of, of Rilke writing these essays about what it means to be a young poet, um, but you don't necessarily get um, Kappas' responses to these things where, you know, a lot of the insecurities are revealed or, you know, things that Rilke is speaking to, but Kapus will be like, actually, no, that's not what I meant. And so, you know, having only read the one side of the conversation before, mm-hmm. it's really Really lovely to have access to the other. Wow. Um, so yeah, Letters to a Young Poet. It's a an edition that's out by um, a live Livright, I'm gonna say. I I was gonna say Liverite, but no, it's Live Livright. <laughs>
0: <Live right. laughs> nice. Well, those sound like incredible books. Dude. So fulfilling and like healthy and nutritious for the soul and the heart. And that's what poetry is all about. Yeah. And I mean, I think I would say that,
1: you know, the beauty of being able to find poetry in essays or in a memoir or in fiction is that, you know, it's really about the care of language, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and really thinking about the beauty of what words can do. And that's always delightful. All right. So what's, what do you got for us for the road? What's, what else are you up to? What's what's going on pop culture? What you listen to what you got this event going on? Tell us a little bit more about the event.
0: Yeah. So just to reiterate, um, Kaveh Canem at city of asylum faculty reading from 2010 to 2014 airs June 17th, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So that's uh, the first of two installments. And the second installment will be probably later in the summer. But that's just what's going on at um, City of Asylum virtually. Um, if you're in Pittsburgh and you want to see some in-person events, you can head over to Samsonia Way on pretty much any given night of the week and find some jazz, find community events, and... Um, the we have Yoko Suzuki coming up on June thirteenth. That's uh, live jazz. If there's any interest there, and of course, um, yeah, that's that's my number one. And if I were in Pittsburgh, I would go to that one. <laughs> nice yeah that's, that's that's
1: amazing um at asterix journal uh, we've got a wonderful piece a micro editorial called today's suggested yoga pose mira jacob calls for india relief efforts from athletic yoga mm. brands and um it is delightful and it is really um something that is uh should be read and our micro editorial section is always delightful because it's brief it's powerful kicks you in the face uh and then you keep on trucking so that yeah. is um at asterixjournal.com. Carla, what a wonderful episode and what a wonderful chance this was to really dig into Cave Khanum and these this faculty reading. Um, yeah, let's do yeah, it again yeah. in a couple let's of weeks.
0: Let's do it again. Yeah. I I love Cave Khanum. I love each of those poets. And I and I feel a personal connection, like you were saying, just you know, just knowing the behind the scenes, but also just being able to enjoy as a as a human, as a person. At, and as a poet, it's just such a, such a blessing, um, to be, to be exposed to, to their work. So check out Cave Canem and, um, yeah. Yeah. Let's Have do a great it. day. Have <laughs> a great day. Ciao. Bye. Okay. Ciao.
1: City of Asylum builds a just community by protecting and celebrating creative free expression. Asterix is a transnational feminist literary arts journal, co-founded by Angie Cruz and Adriana E. Ramirez, committed to social justice and translation, placing women of color at the center of the conversation.
0: Charla Cultural is hosted by
1: Carla Lamb and Adriana E. Ramirez. Voice of Goddess is Alexis Jabour. editorial support by Clarissa A. Production design and brand management by Little Owl Creative. Our theme song is Colombia Folk by Luis Alfonso. And thank you as always to our sponsors, Asterix Journal and City of Asylum.